please subscribe, rate, review, and share the Uppity Women podcast. It only takes a minute and it really helps us out. Thanks. Today's guest is Tharwit Lovett. She is a life coach for emotional and psychological wellness. Last week, we talked to Felicia Johnson. She is the owner of Sevenfold Coaching. She also does life coaching. And I'll tell you, these two have very different styles and backgrounds, but I love both of them. I think of Felicia, and this is me just projecting. I don't know if Felicia would appreciate this, but I, I think of Felicia as, as more my drill sergeant, kind of whipping me into shape. And Tharwit, I think of as more someone who helps me get to the root of what is causing me to feel stuck where I am. And I, I just think they're both incredible women, and I'm so grateful that I got to meet them. Tharwit's conversation, she is really fascinating, uh, really gets into the science of our psychology. And I, I learned a lot and I feel like I already know a lot about this stuff, not necessarily the science, but it's psychology is something that I really try to know a lot about because I'm so interested in it. And you'll hear more of that in the conversation, but she really gave me different ways to think about things. And I appreciate it a lot. Uh, she taught me about how we respond to abuse or trauma and how it manifests later that we might self-sabotage because our subconscious keeps us where the brain thinks survival is located. That I thought was just so intriguing. I'd never thought of it that way. I don't think of my habits and the way I live as something that keeps me safe. I guess because I don't really seek out safety in the risk-taking sense, in the work sense. Um, I really like to try new things and kind of take chances. So that was a really interesting way to think about what I'm doing, but I think that's absolutely right. And I'll explore that with her on my own. I won't, I won't bother you with it, but she talks about how we can create new habits, uh, why we do things the way we do them, our brains want to do things the same way every day because there is safety in the routine. Again, that was sort of new to me, even though I get it, but not in the context in which we discussed it. So pay attention to that. I thought it was fascinating. Another thing that I really appreciated about what she talked about was in the context of procrastination, which I do daily, I think I always thought that I had to kind of figure out why I was doing things before I could change what I was doing. And that is not the case. So she gave me permission to go ahead and try to change my habits, create new habits without understanding why I was, why I continue to maintain the bad habits that I have now instead of moving forward or getting unstuck. So I am going to work on that. Um, she discusses theta, alpha, and beta brainwaves. Uh, I just love this stuff. I, I just, I, I can't wait for you to listen. Um, I don't usually talk about the content of the show much because I want you to listen to it and hear it for yourself. But I just found so many things that I hadn't heard before that I, I found were really fascinating, very uh, applicable to our lives, uh, including Viktor Frankl's definition of power, which is not creating power by force over someone else, but it is power in the amount of space between the stimulus and the response. And I think that absolutely applies in our politics right now. And I, I talk about that. I wish we talked about that more. We just didn't have time, but I'm definitely going to have her back and she'll come. Please check out her website and also go to mindfulblendretreats.com and look at the retreats that they're offering. They just had one this past weekend and I hope to attend one in the future. Uh, they're working on a lot of different things. And by they, I mean Tharwit, Meredith Lyon, and Susie Jacoby. I will put links to them and everything that we talked about in the show notes, as I always do, but I really want you to check it out. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I cannot wait to have her back. Thanks. My name is Tharwit Lovett. I am a life coach. My uh, background is in psychology. I have a master's in applied psychology, which is what the MAP stands for. But I, a few years ago, decided to go in a coaching direction so that um, it, I wanted something that was non-diagnostic in nature and solution-based. It's something where I could help people with action steps on how to make the changes they were wanting to see in life. And so about uh, a little over five years ago, I started coaching. We'll talk about that um, diagnostic versus solutions based. What is, mm -hmm. tell me about the difference between those two. Diagnosis, clinical psychology or clinical therapy is very, very helpful. And I think it's, it's created a lot of wonderful things um, for people today. And I interned for a year at a neuropsychology clinic. And that was my first exposure to therapy. I'd taught psychology for 17 years and really enjoyed it. But um, I was discovering with clients or patients in the, in the more clinical setting 
that for some people a diagnosis was limiting them, that they were beginning to identify with the diagnosis and then they just resolved to the fact that they were going to have to deal with this or struggle with this their entire lives. Uh, For some, a diagnosis is helpful because it shrinks a large or amorphous issue into something that becomes manageable that they can then even in some cases overcome. But for many people, it was limiting them. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I wanted to move in the direction of finding ways to help people in in a way that didn't um, create as many of the the limiting ideas or beliefs. That makes so much sense. I know Mm -hmm. that I was, um, I love therapy and Alyssa, psychiatrist who can give me antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> but a few years ago, a therapist diagnosed me with chron- um, generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she explained it, I was like, of course, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just, it made just perfect sense to me and explained a lot and, you know, based on childhood issues and stuff. And um, I don't use it as a, oh, well, I can't, you know, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do that because I have anxiety. I I am definitely more solution oriented, but it was so useful to have something to say, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And she also explained that, and we don't have to get too far into this, but I just find this mm-hmm. so fascinating. Um, it's very closely tied to depression. Mm-hmm. And so I've been treated for very mild depression. Like I'm on an almost non-therapeutic dose mm-hmm. of antidepressant, but anyway, that they look so similar Mm-hmm. But there are differences, and I don't mm-hmm. remember all the details, but I was like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. So anyway, so I understand what you're saying in the distinction, but I can definitely see, uh, understand how some people can react to that mm-hmm. um, with, oh, well, you know, there's nothing I can do. I've got this, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's back up just a little bit more. Are you from Arkansas? Um, I um, am from Arkansas. I've, I've spent most of my life here. My dad is from Nazareth, Israel, and my mom is from Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And um, when we were really uh, little, when, when my dad graduated pharmacy school, he did fly the entire family to Israel, and we were going to try and build our life there. Mm-hmm. But it only lasted about a year. And, and then my mom became pregnant with my youngest sister. There are five of us total. They decided to come back to the States so that we can all be raised here. And we were in a couple of places, but eventually landed back in Arkansas. And that's where my dad got a job. And um, I graduated high school from Marion High School outside of West Memphis. Yeah. How old were you when you were in Israel? I was um, probably about four or five years old. Do you have good memories of that time? I have, being so young, I have um, spotty memories of that time Mm -hmm. um, when we were overseas, but but my dad has a pretty large family, so all throughout growing up, we would, every three or four years go, um, spend a month or two Mm -hmm. with family overseas. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Israel is at the top of my list. Um, I'm very curious about the Middle East, uh, just Mm -hmm. just kind of the cradle of religion, Mm -hmm. really. I I was going to say civilization, but that's really more in Africa. If mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. all of my history classes, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really, I'm not religious at all, but mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by religion itself mm-hmm. and the impact on our cultures and the world and, and often, right. if, in often not good ways, but also I see a lot of value in religion as well. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's a whole other conversation. So you go into psychology. Do you know why you were led in that direction? Um, it's been very organic. So like a lot of high schoolers, when I graduated, I thought, that you know what we're all supposed to become is a doctor right so um i graduated high school uh, received a scholarship to go to arkansas state university and i signed up as a, a, a biology major to go pre-med and um, i'd say it was maybe a year into um, my undergrad i'd spent an hour or two on the friend with the or on the phone with a friend uh, she was having a uh, boyfriend trouble and, and after the conversation, she said, you know, you're really good at that. You should, have you ever considered taking some psychology classes? And I thought, no, it was, I had t- been taken aback because it really wasn't on my radar. And so the next semester I signed up for a psychology class and then it just stuck from there. What is your interest in it? Um, I find for a lot of people who end up going into the psychology field that they're, um, um, Usually, there's an, some interest in, in, in personal exploration, uh, wanting to understand why, why we do the things that we do, um, how we're similar, how we're, we're different. So, so there's a lot of self-interest that drives 
psychology mm-hmm. and the way that in my my background I came from polarity because my parents are from two different countries that are culturally different the western and eastern cultures vary in in many um, pretty significant ways my parents were were two different religions so I grew up in a bi-religious bicultural um, family and they were also from two different um, socioeconomic mm-hmm. um, statuses so from very early on, kind of, I like to think about it as uh, like falling in between a crack, not 100% fitting in on one side or on the other side, but being touched by both. Mm-hmm. I think it just um, triggered or, or spawned uh, an, an inquisitiveness of uh, why we do the things that we do or we believe the things that we believe and and life has just sort of unfolded as a um, experimental observation of myself and, and of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't imagine what it's like to grow up that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, that's um, people who grow up biracial and they can, you know, we code switch and we can fit into different worlds. And even uh, not just based on um, skin color, but even, you know, I lived in the Northeast and I grew up in the Midwest. And so I code switch mm-hmm. just culturally, right? Just, you know, being in the South versus, you know, I'm a little bit different when I go to New York. And so, yeah, that's, uh, I feel like we have so much stuff I want to talk to you about, but I'm mm-hmm. going to try to stay focused. Okay. Okay, we're going to have to get together. I'm sorry, <laughs> my brain is just like, oh my God, I want to talk about this so mm-hmm. much. I do want to talk about, at some point, about what it's like to grow up as you in East Arkansas. You know, um, because I have my stereotypes, I have my assumptions, and assume it was all difficult. <laughs> but but I don't, I'm not going to, um, to put that on you. We'll, we'll talk about that sometime. But how would you describe... So you transition into coaching mm-hmm. um, because you wanted a more solution-based practice. How do you describe what you do? Um, so I honestly have defaulted to the word coach because I don't, I haven't found a better term to describe what I do, but I do focus a lot on psychological and emotional wellness. I, um, love what I call psychological technology. So in studying how we operate as human beings and with the advances we've made in technology today, we can see what's going on inside of the body in ways that we couldn't just a few hundred years ago. And we're, we're discovering more and more that there's a system, there's a science to, to consciousness, to the way that the subconscious and conscious mind works. So I love I love educating people on exactly how their psychological technology works so that we can become more, um, we can become aware and uh, conscious or deliberate or intentional um, livers of our lives. I'm an advocate for moving or graduating from the survival brain and beginning to engage the part of our brain that um, supports a, a thriving life or a thriving existence. And we have very specific or uh, particular areas of the brain that, that are um, focused on that, that allow us to um, live in different ways. And when we can understand what it is, when we understand our, our, our reactive limbic responses and we understand the capabilities of the frontal lobe, um, then it, for me, because I've always wanted to know why you're asking me to do something or, mm-hmm. or why do we do it this way and not that way? I really lean heavily on the science of, of how we operate and how we think. And uh, it, it, it helps me as an individual and, and some, some others as well to become more empowered mm-hmm. so that we can become more active participants in life. You were singing my song. So what do you call it? Sy- not systemic technology. What, what do you call it? Psychological, Psychological technology. technology. Mm-hmm. So, and the technology is kind of built and designed based on our experiences, right? I mean, is there a, is there a, I don't know if nature versus nurture is the right frame, but is, is that right? That it's, it's based on our experiences or is there a lot that is just inherently biological in our brains? It's both, but the psychological technology refers to um, the the brain and the structures within the within the brain and the nervous system and and the mechanics of how it works. So the psychological technology is is pretty much the the brain and the nervous system and the operational technology. Like everybody's brain and nervous system works in very specific ways. Every organ in our body serves a very specific purpose. Right, your heart has a job. Your liver has a job. Your lungs have a job. Well, the brain also has a job, but we tend to give the brain more credit than it deserves. We have taken 
this system whose job, whose primary role is to keep us alive, is survival. And um, the, the program by which it operates is what um, nurture is doing. Mm-hmm. So the environment that we grow up in, we are soaking all of this information in because our nervous system is saying, okay, I need to pay attention and um, I need to avoid rejection and I need to avoid death. So then we begin to develop all of this unconsciously. We're not even aware that this is going on. Um, these programs that are operating within our nervous system that are geared towards survival to keep us alive. So if we grow up in an abusive situation as children, right? And as children, we're 100% dependent upon our caregivers for survival. And so um, we had to learn to, to eat our emotions or we had to learn whatever it was in order to survive the conditions that we grew up in. That then becomes a part of my subconscious programming. And it will continue on as auto, automatic behavior throughout the duration of my life until I become aware of it. Because once we graduate from being children and we go out into the world and live on our own, our nervous system is going to continue the same habits, mm-hmm. um, the same response systems that we had to learn in order to survive growing up. We don't realize that sometimes we keep hitting blocks or we self-sabotage. It's, it's this, um, this system that keeps us in where it thinks uh, survival is located, right? So the key is awareness. If we can become habit of something we're doing, we don't realize that mm-hmm. we're doing, it's become embedded within our psychological programming, the nervous system, because that's what it believes is necessary in order to survive the environment. But when we can become aware of what that pattern or that habit is, it's no longer a habit, it becomes a choice. Because now we can observe it, we're aware of it. And every time we catch ourselves engaging in that same reactive cycle of behavior, thinking or feeling, then we can interrupt the completion of the firing of that circuit because everything psychological is simultaneously physiological. And when you identify what that neural circuit is and you interrupt the the process, then it weakens because what fires together wires together. And if we persist, then over time, it'll just, it'll grow weak enough to where it no longer has the hold on us. Mm -hmm. And then we can begin programming new ideas and thoughts and, and um, beliefs that we want to become beliefs in a part of our, our new autopilot or automatic. So as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about every day when I think, why can't I get my shit together? Well, it's because I choose not to. And I know that if I because I like to spend the first hour of my day, you know, reading the news and kind of, like I said earlier, easing into my day a little bit. Well, I know that if I get up and do some yoga or meditate, I've done it before and I know it makes me feel good and makes me feel more productive. And if I stick to a schedule or a calendar, that will make me happier in the long run because I'll be getting my things done. Mm -hmm. And getting things done makes me very happy. But I don't do those things, even Mm -hmm. though I know it would be, it's better for me. And Mm -hmm. so... So what is it that keeps people, I don't want to make this into a whole therapy session about me. I, I, I it's imagine relevant it's, to many people. Right? Uh, that's what mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it that, that keeps us from just doing it, getting right. out of those bad habits mm-hmm. or trying to create new ones or new routines that we know are going to be better for us, for our health, for our families, for our work. Right. All of that. So um, again, the brain's job is to keep us alive. It's survival. Um, the ego is the aspect of our consciousness um, that that is our identity, right? And um, the ego or the brain is going to crave routine. It's going to to crave all of the programs that are operating in my subconscious system that has identified as truths, whether or not it's actually based off of reality. It doesn't matter if if we have adopted it for whatever reason um, throughout our development. It's a truth as far as our subconscious is concerned. It's going to want us to move in that direction constantly because that is what survival means or that is what survival is. So we might want to incorporate a new behavior, but the, the ego, the survival aspect of our brain doesn't want to engage in that because it's something new the brain its job is to keep us alive and one of the things that the brain does is is um, encourage us to do the exact same thing every day in the same way because there's safety in that Mm -hmm. there's security in that repetition that that routine this is one of the reasons why we stay in abusive situations or abusive relationships 
as miserable as I am right now in these conditions, at least I'm surviving. I stayed alive yesterday and the day before and the day before. So if I just keep things exactly the way that it is, then I'll survive into the future, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that is the brain's job is to keep us alive, survival. We might know that well if I were to incorporate this or that in my life, then I know that I feel better. But you're, it feels like you're fighting every cell in your body. Mm-hmm. And you are because the brain and the nervous system is communicating to every cell in your body that that, that is change is bad mm-hmm. and that we must stick to the routine. So the more routine, and I, I um, recently read this in a, a book by Stuart Wilde, which for me was very insightful as well because, I mean, we're all human. We find ourselves in these same cycles of behavior. It is, an, it is ego-based living, which is basic, you know, fear-based, survival-based to do the exact same thing every day because there's safety or there's security in that. The infinite aspect of ourself, it lives in, in, the, in the fluidity of change and the organic nature of life because oftentimes our destiny is found in the unknown rather than the known. The brain only knows what it's experienced in the past. It can't see into the future. And so it wants to write off everything in the future as a potential threat or as, or as, a, as a death warrant. So it wants to keep us in the same habits from the past because at least we know that we'll stay alive. So it's a matter of proving to the subconscious mind with data. We cannot outmuscle the subconscious because some people say that up to 95% of our day is on autopilot. Mm-hmm. It's the, the program operating um, on a continuous loop um, of whatever whatever exists in our subconscious. And about 5% of our day is is our conscious, what, what we think is the entire day, but right. it really isn't. It's our conscious awareness and application to the day. But it isn't. So um, so if we want to make some change in our life, then we have to be able to communicate whatever that is to the subconscious and get buy-in from the subconscious. So how we do this is through presenting enough data. It's kind of like your subconscious is the judge and your conscious mind is the attorney. And the attorney's job is to gather as much data, as much information to present its case to the judge, and then hopefully the judge will rule in its favor. So this is why it's important for us to acknowledge that gratitude is helpful or if we want um, to adopt a new personality characteristic, we have to start acknowledging that. We have to start intentionally moving or doing the things that are going to put us in the situations that are going to um, pull that particular personality trait out of ourselves. But it's going to feel like we're swimming against the current because our subconscious is moving, is the current, and it's moving in in a particular direction. But um, there are, are three ways to impress a program upon the subconscious, and one is authority. So if you identify someone, this is why our parents or our teachers growing up, they're authority figures. We might feel one way, but if they tell us something entirely different because we perceive them as an authority and the source of our survival, we believe instantly whatever it is that they're saying, and we, we um, take that on as a program. The second is repetition, and this is why as children, we say that ABCs over and over and over again. When in school, we repeat things over and over and over again, the multiplication table, because repetition is going to create a program. Those neurons, that cluster of neurons have gotten used to firing together over and over and over again, and then they start having a conversation saying this must be important because it keeps happening over and over and over again. Because I can only consciously really pay attention to a very few things at a time. I need to free up that space for new things that could be potentially threatening or dangerous. So then it just it creates a neural network that ha- is rooted in long-term memory. You don't have to think about it anymore. It's going to automatically happen. And then the third thing is through intensity or like, like emotion. Emotionally significant events in life, whether it's positive or negative, can instantly etch itself into the subconscious programming. How, how are you intentional about that? About? The third, the, uh, the emotional aspect. Well, so um, every thought has a biochemical consequence associated with it, right? So our superpower, I often tell people, it exists within our ability 
to um, direct our attention towards certain things because what we direct our attention to is going to trigger a series of thoughts. Those thoughts have biochemical consequence. So depending on the thoughts that you're thinking, your body's going to release an entirely different set of chemicals. If you're thinking stressful thoughts, then your body's gonna be releasing the adrenaline or the cortisol, right? If you're thinking pleasant thoughts, then your body might be releasing the, the dopamine and the, and the serotonin and norepinephrine, all of the chemicals that are gonna make you feel more excited and, or feel better, right? So if we can direct what we pay attention to, then we can influence the thoughts that we're thinking. And then we can influence our emotional responses or reactions. And the emotions, if you can think a thought and pair emotion with it, then you increase the sort of the, the pecking order. You increase the importance of whatever that thought is when you can link the two together. Because then we end up behaving. If we, we pay attention to something, then we have thoughts about it, then we have feelings about it, and our feelings are gonna influence our behavior and our behavior is going to influence the environment that we find ourselves in and how other people respond or react to us. And then that's going to direct our attention again. And the entire thing is a feedback loop. So I understand what you're saying. I'm, I think I'm struggling to come up with examples, but um, I've always been a procrastinator. But I also know that when I finish a task, I feel elated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, why did I put that off? It was so easy. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of emotion I should be paying attention to is it makes me happy to accomplish tasks. I think I'm just trying to think of a kind of a practical example of what mm -hmm. you're talking about. Okay. So if procrastination is a, um, a continual issue for you, then it's maybe worth looking at why our, our brain is going to seek pleasure and avoid pain all the time. Right? So somewhere within your psychology, you have uh, a belief that, uh, um, and we can't, by the way, have an emotional response to something we don't have a corresponding belief about. If there is no belief in a particular area, then, then the data or the experience is neutral. Not until there's, there's something like a neural circuit that is triggered by an external event, um, do we, there, there has to be a belief somewhere in there that, that triggers the emotional re reaction or response. But, um, so that there's just, there's a belief somewhere inside of you. And again, you know, the habit is something that we are unaware of. There's this, we just, it goes away on the back burner and we consciously forget, um, what's going on. For example, if in uh, one of my favorite books, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, he gives the example of a little girl who loves to sing. And every day she gets off the bus and she's just singing and happy because that's who she is. Well, one day she gets off the bus. But usually she beats her mother home. Her mother was already home and she's singing like she normally does because she loves it and it makes her feel good. But then her mom um, yells at her from the next room and tells her that that, that sound is killing her, her head, right? And so then as children, what we do is we personalize and internalize because we unconditionally love or accept our parents because they are our source of survival, right? So then we think, well, there must be something wrong with me or my voice is in horrible. If my voice wasn't this horrible, then my mom's head wouldn't be hurting when it had actually nothing to do with the, with the child, right? So she now believes that there's, there's something noxious about her voice and she stops singing mm -hmm. like she used to. Well, years pass and in, in 15, 20, 30 years, she's not going to remember that event necessarily. But that program is still operating within her subconscious, within her autopilot. And she just, does, she finds herself adverse to singing of, of any kind. So somewhere along the way, we develop, there's an agreement that we make um, that, that causes us to, to act in a habitual way, one way or the other. I had a client... Um, once uh, she loves trying new things, but she um, ends up procrastinating. She doesn't, she always, or she, she'll self-sabotage any attempt to travel or to try new things. And she says, I don't understand why I do that. And so we started digging a little bit into her life and, and what it was like growing up. And, and then she realized that when she was younger, she loved trying new things, but she would try something and then decide it wasn't for her. And so she would stop. So she'd try something else. And I don't really like that either. And she'd stop. 
but her her father was um, someone who believed that if you start something, you have to finish it. Mm. It just it did bugged him that you don't start something and then and then stop. That was um, um, inappropriate behavior, according to to his program. You know, and it's always because of the way that we're reared. And I started making her feel bad about herself, thinking that there was something wrong with her. Why can't she pick something and stick with it? And so then. There was this belief now that, well, it's better to talk myself. I might be excited to do something, but I'm going to talk myself out of it because what if I start it and then I don't like it and I'm going to disappoint my family again or my father again. So there's something somewhere in that where we make that, 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 that reasoning. Um, we have that whatever it is that's going on in, in, inside of our subconscious mm-hmm. that has convinced us it's better to procrastinate because you're wanting to avoid something. Mm-hmm. Even though the data is in front of us, every time I do this, I actually feel better about mm-hmm. myself. There's something. There's something that's pulling you in the opposite direction. For some people, um, it isn't a prerequisite to figure out what that is. You, you can. And for some people, that's incredibly helpful to, to, to be able to reach back into the past and discover the inception of that belief or that idea that has caused us to self-sabotage what our true desires are um, in our lives in the, and in the future. But it's not a prerequisite. It's not necessary. We can reprogram or we can go back and then become aware of it and, and heal that aspect of ourselves. Or we can override. So if you know that this is a habit, you don't know exactly where it came from, but you, you, do, you do admit or acknowledge that this isn't the way you want your life to be from this point forward, it's not help, helping you, mm-hmm. then you can begin to implant new thoughts and behaviors. It's going to, again, feel like you're swimming against the current. But if you decide, I don't want procrastination to be a part of my personality anymore, it's going to take conscious effort. But if you stick with it and you're persistent, it really doesn't take that long period of time to carve out the circuitry within your brain. Cognitive neuroscientists say 21 days to create a new habit. Mm-hmm. So if, if you commit to engaging in a thought or a behavior every day for 21 days, that's a long enough period of time for those neurons to communicate with one another that this is something important and they begin to wire together. Um, but Dr. Caroline Leaf, she has talked about, so 21 days to create a, a neural network or a circuit that makes it easier for us to engage automatically in a behavior. But if you can do 21 days three times, if you can do 21 days for that that cycle three times, 63 days total, that's a long enough period of time for the roots to grow deep enough within your neurology that it now becomes something that's more sustainable. So the goal is 21 days, but if we become inconsistent or fizzle after 21 days, it's not going to take much effort to deprogram mm-hmm. whatever that behavior is. But if we continue and we cycle through for a total of 63 days, then it, it makes it, it's more of a hardwired um, thing and that we, we continually can reinforce um, over time, but it's becoming more and more of an automatic thing mm-hmm. and less and less of a thing that you have to consciously make sure you're doing. Okay. I'm committing to you right now today to start tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the queen of like making lists, you mm-hmm. know, like cleaning the house before I work and you know, all of mm-hmm. that stuff. It's all the procrastination. I am, I am really inclined because I am interested and intrigued by what makes humans human and, and why we do the things we do. And I'm very introspective. So I always like to figure out where my shit started, where it's coming from, what it really means, what I'm really afraid of. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's hard for me not to see that as a prerequisite to figure mm-hmm. out why I do procrastinate because just sitting here thinking about it, I have no idea, but I also know that, um, I know how to create new habits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know what mm-hmm. you just told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing. I know all the things that I could be doing and I don't know why I'm, I'm not. So, mm-hmm. um, but I'll, I'll save that for a therapy session sometime, I guess, but I'm not going to procrastinate anymore. I'm going to take a break right here so that we can hear a word about women lead Arkansas and we'll come right back. I started women lead Arkansas in 2013 as an effort to train women to run for office. I made it nonpartisan because I want all women to have access to resources so they can become engaged in politics, policy, and leadership, regardless of their beliefs and backgrounds. Show your support by going to womenleadarkansas.org and get 15% off hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs by using discount code UPPITY, U-P-P-I-T-Y. 
The times we're living in cause me great anxiety, which I discuss in many of the episodes, but I know we can do better. Help Women Lead bring more people and resources together to make Arkansas the best it can be for everyone. Go to womenleadarkansas.org and use the discount code UPPITY for 15% off our merchandise. We are all in this together. Um, okay, so uh, so you say that coaching is kind of the word you came up with. So two things. Is there, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of a way to ask the question. Basically, are there types of people who come to you? Or not even types of people, but like common issues people come to you with. Is it mostly work-related? Is it life-related? Which is the same thing, but um, personal life, I mean. And then I guess what sorts of tools do you try to help people with? Or, or kind of how do you work, I guess? Mm-hmm. It's all been a very organic process. So a little over five years ago when I left therapy, um, a friend of mine encouraged me to go into coaching. And again, just like when my friend suggested I, I take a psychology class, I thought, what? I've never thought of that. I, you know, that just wasn't on my radar. And uh, um, he was encouraging enough that I said, okay, I'll just hang up a shingle and we'll see what happens. And, and I did. And, and at that point, three of my old clients had heard I was coaching. So they signed on for a couple of sessions. And, and then I was like, okay, this is great. You know, I'm enjoying this. This is wonderful. And then from those three people, they would refer someone. And then they, so it's all, it was all just organic word of mouth referral. And Clients come to me for a variety of different reasons. A lot of them have an emotional basis to it, whether they're unhappy about um, where they find themselves in life or they're struggling in a relationship or they're, they're wanting to make some changes in their lives, but they, they keep sabotaging themselves or finding themselves in the same ruts of behavior over and over again. So it's, and, and, and my um, approach is, is varied depending upon what the individual needs mm-hmm. for their session. So oftentimes if someone calls and, and they want to schedule a session, then, then I'll ask them initially um, to tell me a little bit about themselves and what they're hoping to achieve from coaching. And then from that point, it informs me on, on what direction to, to go and what subject material to start with uh, for that individual client. But I've worked with couples and in, in, in couples or relationship therapy before I work with individuals I've I've helped people who feel like they're not living their passion and they want they want to refamiliarize themselves with that but most importantly wherever a person is coming from um, and whatever they're hoping to achieve I think it's important number one to empower them re-empower them because we have learned over the course of our lives to give our power away to mm-hmm. um the external to other people. And then secondly, to um, remind ourselves or, or refamiliarize at least ourselves to what I call the IGS or the internal guidance system inside. Because I don't have the answers. Nobody has really the answers for any other person because the the answers, the, the sustainable um, um, answers for, for each of us the, and the, the most powerful solutions for each of us are going to come from within. Mm-hmm. But what we can help each other with is creating an environment, um, a physiological environment and the literal external environment around us that helps us create the space for those answers to come to us or to, to be revealed to us. And there's also a uh, physiological basis behind how that works. The brain can tune into various channels. You have like your, your theta, alpha, beta, the, the various channels of brainwave activity. The, when we're focused on something and paying attention, efforted attention, we are typically in a beta brainwave state. Which is good. It helps. It, it helps us when, when we're stressed. A lot of times, we're we're in a beta brainwave state. We actually spend too much time in in beta, where we're trying to solve all of our problems with the frontal lobe, right? Mm-hmm. But the frontal lobe's job, or one of its jobs, it has many jobs, is to um, help us to identify challenges and 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 problems, and it's where we have impulse control and judgment and personality. It really is the only part of the brain that has the power to override our older reptilian limbic response systems. It's it's where we can exercise the muscle um, in order to begin controlling our reactions, where we can become more responsive. 
But oftentimes, if you look throughout history, someone may be struggling with a problem and you're focusing on it, focusing on it, focusing on it, and you can't, you can't quite seem to find the solution. So you, you decide, just forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I need a vacation. Go take a vacation. And you, a lot of times, the idea will come to that person, right? You're shifting into a different brainwave state, a brainwave channel. And it's like when you give yourself permission to slow down and remove your attention from the problem, then you allow your brain to do what it does and for a solution to come forward. It's like the, um, the, the subconscious, which is our body, it's the brain and the nervous system has antenna out everywhere and it perceives at the level of vibration. It perceives, um, which is almost like pre-matter. Everything, all matter is vibrational. All matter is energy vibrating mm -hmm. at varying frequencies. Our subconscious can tune into that. Our subconscious communicates to us in that way. But, but consciously, we, we're perceiving through our five senses. We, we see post energy, we see data, we see, we see matter, right? So our subconscious can tune into information, a wealth of information that our conscious mind can. And when we allow ourselves to access that, we can allow through theta. This is why hypnotherapists are going to whatever their technique is, they're slowing down your brainwave activity. They're, they're moving you into a theta brainwave state because when we're in theta, that security guard that's called the conscious mind stands in front of the subconscious vault and says, you do not have access to this. This is off limits, right? But when you move into a theta brainwave state, that security guard goes to sleep and you can tap into that vault. You can maybe, um, uh, information will come up where you can look at some of the programs that are operating in your subconscious system, or you can plant new ideas and new thoughts and beliefs um, when we're in that theta brainwave state. So it's actually worth our while if we're um, moving through a, a problem that we're wanting to solve, if we can evoke a sense of relaxation, we might be able to find the solution a lot quicker. Than, than when we're in a, in a very heightened, hmm. um, stressed state. That is good information for me. Is that why uh, so many of us say we get our best ideas in the shower? Mm -hmm. Because we're not at the desk or at the computer trying to figure it out. We're just doing some random thing with our thoughts free-flowing, and then all of a sudden something will come to us? Yes. A lot of great ideas come to me in the shower. If I'm writing something and I'm, I'm, I've hit a block and I don't know what to write next, sometimes I'll get up and I'll go clean something. Because mm -hmm. when I'm cleaning, I, I put my conscious attention or mind to work and it, it slows down my brain. So I'm, it's, it, it creates the opportunity for an idea to present itself more readily than just focusing on, on the block itself. Or for different people go on walks or, mm -hmm. you know, when you're driving and you drive the same route every day, home and work, home and work. Sometimes you pull into your driveway and you're thinking, how the heck did I even get here, mm -hmm. right? You are, that's what, that's what a theta brainwave saves. So it's when it just sort of lulls your conscious mind to sleep. And literally when you're going to sleep at night before you're asleep, but, but you're not quite consciously awake. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. It's just a deep, relaxed state. Then we can access information that we are not capable of tapping into when we're so consciously focused on something because it's it's we're limiting our conscious focused attention is limiting the possibilities because again the the brain is the past the that like if i'm trying to figure out this is what i set my goal to to, to be and how can i get there what are the things that i can do to to accomplish that goal well, my only options are the things that I've known that I've experienced in the past, when oftentimes the best solution is something you've never experienced mm -hmm. or you've never known. So we, we have to move the brain to, the, to, that, to that place where we, are, um, we can more readily or more easily access some of that information that I might not consciously be able to um, envision. So what I hear you saying is I need more vacations mm -hmm. where I don't do anything. Correct. Actually, the best vacation I've... Well, I say this. I guess it's been a couple of years now, but I insisted that we go back to Nicaragua, Nicaragua not to explore, but to just sit there and do nothing. And it was the most glorious week of my life because I didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. I was planning where we were going to go, what we were going to do. We just read, we ate, we drank, we walked over to the next village. And it was just, it was so wonderful. So I'm a, I'm a go outside and walk kind of person. If I clean, I listen to podcasts because I'm always... I just like to listen and learn and, but 
you know, I'll take the dog for a walk or, you know, when I used to go out and hike, it was just very therapeutic for me. And it really allowed me to do exactly what you're talking about. I, I can totally relate to everything you just said. So when I reached out to you, you know, I had asked the girl attorneys, I'm in a girl attorney Facebook page and mm-hmm. asked about uh, coaches. And, and so I was really just thinking about this conversation in, in the work context, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it's, it could be any context, mm-hmm. but I'm going to focus on work for just a minute. Well, two things. One, I feel like the internet and or social media has really become a detriment mm-hmm. to us in many ways. Um, especially with focus, I probably have ADHD. I'm sure I do. I have Adderall. I don't always take it because I don't want to become dependent on it to get mm-hmm. things done. But um, second thing, do you find that women are, are more susceptible to these hurdles or problems? I don't know how I want to. I don't know what a word I want to use to describe them. Mm-hmm. I think that women struggle in a way um, that is unique to their gender. So Amit Goswami, he is a physicist. Um, I um, heard him say once in a documentary, life is meant to be lived like a 50s doo-wop song, doobie, 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 doo. So the, the doing aspect of existence is more masculine in nature. It's, it's, and, the, and the being is more feminine in nature. It's the yin and the yang. And and we need a balance of both in order be, to be living the best life. Mm-hmm. But we grow up in a culture, in a society that's very achievement oriented, that's very success driven, that's all about productivity, productivity, productivity. We're emerging from the industrial age where, where things were, were, were factory made on, on you know, a, a, a factory line, right? And, and um, our educational system is very stamped out and cookie cutter, which is not necessarily helping civilization and professionally our professional world it's it is very we're discovering now now that there are some some shifts where people are being more flexible Mm -hmm. with with schedules they're they're creating um support systems at work or they're offering counseling to employees or there some jobs are moving remotely so there, there are some things that are kind of help i think moving us in the right direction and allowing for more of the being but for men doing comes more naturally not all men but it's it's at least culturally they're they're reared even mm-hmm. um but every human being whether we're male or female has both a masculine and feminine aspect to their consciousness to to ourselves and they are located in very different parts of the brain so in order for us to be the best version of ourselves it really is important to balance both the masculine and the feminine aspects of ourselves and i think for women being comes uh more naturally for not everyone but many of us and um we tend to be more in tune emotionally but you know it's and i have i'm working with three other women now we are um unrolling or uh, unfolding a, a, a mindset curriculum or mastermind so um, we engaged in a mastermind group just myself and five other women and uh, the way that we had set it up it was really successful uh, we were focusing more on mindset and then creating a supportive environment for one another and uh, it had helped all of us that we decided we're going to see if we can apply our method to other groups of women um, and see if that if it's helpful. Part of it is about giving permission to the self to purge ourselves of the limiting beliefs that have been holding us back. And then a part of it is addresses this, this issue where in order for us to feel, not everyone, but some of us feel in order to be successful professionally, then we need to do it the masculine way. It's, it's all goal driven and, and, and just, um, a very doing I mean I don't know about you but I have some days I feel low energy and I don't really want to do much I just want to kind of take a step back and relax and be for a minute but then I have that voice inside of my head that's beating myself up for it mm-hmm. saying I'm, I'm being unproductive I'm never going to be successful by doing this and that's not healthy for for any of us mm-hmm. we need that balance and like we said physiologically the things that happen inside of the brain inside of the body when we allow ourselves that time to mm-hmm. to step outside of beta and relax then we can access a different 
dimension of information than than otherwise but yeah women we have many roles we we're daughters and sisters and um, parents mothers and and wives and there's just so many things that Mm -hmm. tug at us and our attention and in social media it doesn't help either Mm -hmm. but then we all we find ourselves in this game of comparison Mm -hmm. we also find research where where we've discovered that the notifications and things in the in the social media or on the phone are triggering the same reward circuitry that 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 drugs trigger within the brain and there's just a whole slew of information and it's designed that way Mm -hmm. to manipulate us and to for for us to seek that that affirmation Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so when I I have an app on my computer called Freedom, and so when I know I need to stay off Facebook or whatever it is, I hate Facebook. I mean, I love it and I hate it. Uh, I just can't seem to quit it. So I'll shut off all social media so I can just concentrate on what I have to do. But I feel like there's so much information, and for someone like me, and I'm sure I'm not unique, I am so I'm endlessly curious about everything. I want to know what's going on politically. I've always been engaged in politics or in current events and. I almost, we just have so much information. And uh, is that a problem that you see in the work context or really any context that we're, we're struggling to, to stay focused um, because there is so much other stuff to distract us? Mm-hmm. I don't think it helps, but um, kind of moving back to the the IGS or the internal guidance system, mm-hmm. when we have so much access to information is phenomenal. And I think it has significantly helped the evolution of us as human beings. And it's also um, um, like the internet has shrunk the the world. It's, sh- it's shrunk the globe. We have access to people from other cultures and countries. We can communicate freely with anyone anywhere. And that, that has, I think, helped um, bring a greater sense of community globally mm-hmm. than we had available to us prior to um, our access to the internet. However, we are growing more and more used to receiving only external sensory information. When our internal guidance system, we are capable of, of receiving information internally. And this is why meditation for thousands of years has been encouraged and and in psychotherapy today a lot of therapists are now saying meditate 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 or or, are using mindfulness techniques because there's a a wealth of valuable information that we can access internally when we take five ten minutes a day and the the point or the purpose of of meditation is to shut all of the external data off for a minute clear the mind mm-hmm. of all of the thoughts and then just sit in that space that that's that conscious space where there's no thought and no feeling and the 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 more i identify space as power we traditionally i believe defined power as the amount of force mm-hmm. you have over someone or something else but victor frankel he um said this that it, it's not the amount of force you have over someone else or something else it's the amount of space you have between stimulus and response that's what power is Hmm. if you can create a space between stimulus and response then we're no longer reactive which means we're no longer living in that survival reptilian existence we have the power now to choose based off of whatever the stimulus is what our response is going to be or choose not to respond Either way, but that's where our power is in that space. So with an inundation from from social media and 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 television and and all of um, the access to the information and stimulation we have today, we have undervalued, I think, as a general rule, the importance of space, yeah. creating that 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 mental, that psychological and emotional space and physical space. Yes, and, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about our politics and the way we talk to each other and react to things on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is, and uh, and we don't just take that breath before right. we respond to something, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is just so detrimental to our, our society, um, and in real physical ways to a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. not just my anxiety, but like violence being committed on others, you know, and so I um, I feel overwhelmed by that a lot, and very helpless. I feel helpless, you mm-hmm. know, but yet I still get on Facebook. I don't, I try not to participate in those things. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to be um, good about what I do, but I still observe it. 
So, okay, we're getting close to an hour. Um, I don't want to keep you longer than that. Can you talk about how your process works? If someone were interested in, in visiting with you, what are the options and, and how do you work with people? Okay, if someone is interested in visiting with me, then they, they can text, they can email or call. But texting and email is a lot easier because I have um, a lot going on typically throughout the day and a lot of appointments. Then I, I do my own scheduling. So we'll find a time that works for the client and myself and we'll schedule a session. And it really is similar to talk therapy. So they'll come in. I also do phone sessions, but um, we'll, we'll come in and, and then I'll ask. There's a lot of question asking. So I'll ask you a lot of questions and, and then um, teach about certain things within psychology and what we're capable of, the psychological technology, um, um, emotionally validate. That's really powerful for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And uh, I typically do 60-minute sessions occasionally, especially if someone's coming in from out of town, they, they like doing two hour sessions, but for a 60 minute session, it's $100. And then, but if you know, you want to come back for more than one session, then I offer a package of four sessions for uh, $325. That's kind of how it works. We just schedule. And then it's very, very organic. And so let's say I've got a business I'm trying to build and I'm, I'm kind of stuck mostly because I've overscheduled myself doing other things. And Mm so if my, uh, do I need to come with you to you with a goal, you know, like I need to figure out what to cut out or Mm -hmm. is that how I know it varies, but, Mm -hmm. um, if that's what I wanted, I could come to you and say, okay, help me get it together, figure out a way forward and decide what I really want to do. Right. So it, 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 um, differs um, that and it's dependent upon the level at which you want to address the challenge that you're coming in with. If mm-hmm. if it is a, a business issue and you want to focus on business ideas and business solutions, there are business coaches in town that um, might be a better fit for the individual. But you could come and you could hire me to address that issue. But but the approach that I'm going to take is why do you keep running into this issue? Mm-hmm why um the sort of the underlying what is what is the the belief the habit or the the pattern why do you keep running into the same problem over and over and over again what is it that you believe that causes us to be a continual habit i like um you know we have i like to think of it as as weeding with the shovel as opposed to a pair of scissors because in 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 um um, it isn't uncommon practice in our society to put Band-Aid on things. Mm. If we have an issue, then we'll find a temporary relief from it, and it helps for a little while, then it you know, inevitably comes back. Um, in my practice, I'm more interested in figuring out the, what the root is. So what is the root cause for this continued challenge or obstacle in your life? And if we can identify that and uproot it, then in whatever area that has affected you in your life, it is hopefully no longer an issue for you. So I need two coaches because <laughs> I want all that. Mm-hmm. And I also need some really, like, I like steps. I like really, like, here's some tools you can use. Mm-hmm. But I also really want to understand where it's coming from because I mm-hmm. don't like being in the place where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to get some money so I can hire two, two now. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, I met with Felicia earlier and Felicia Johnson, and she has a very different approach. And it is more of the... I don't want to say to-do list. I'm mischaracterizing what she actually does, but mm-hmm. um, it's less the kind of internal, I'm going to call it therapeutic mm-hmm. uh, kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love both. Mm-hmm. I love both. So, And then do you do, I know that you're kind of experimenting with a mastermind. And don't let me forget, I want to ask you about that. I have one more question about that. Do you also do any um, group sessions or, or anything, workshops with, with companies or anything like that? Mm-hmm. I am open to doing those things. I haven't done any workshops. I um, have done some group sessions. Um, different uh, organizations or support groups um, will invite me to come speak at their at their event on usually a specific topic. But um, I also in, involved with a uh, yoga instructor and a hypnotherapist, and we have um, created a company called MindfulBlendRetreats.com. And so periodically throughout the year, we offer uh, retreats. They're, they're weekend retreats, and there's coaching classes, there's group hypnotherapy classes, and then we, we blend in yoga. It's myself, Meredith Lyon, and Susie Jacoby. 
We have one coming up actually November 15th through the 17th and uh, it's and it's women only. Again, I do believe if we can heal the woman, if we can heal the feminine within our world or the planet, then we can actually quicken the the evolution process as far as the the planet is concerned. So um, it just, and it just kind of naturally happened this way, fallen into, wasn't intentional, but I suppose that we're identifying that there's this need. There's this thing that's going on inside of us as women Mm -hmm. that um, needs to be addressed. And we need to, within our own community, find ways to support one another to help heal that. But uh, it, it's about renewal. It's about the mindfully blending the, the mind, the body, and the soul, the reintegration, and then connecting with other women in the process for the retreats. So that is actually a really good segue because my question about the mastermind was going to be gender-based. You know, I, I feel like, and listen, I have a nonprofit called Women Lead Arkansas. I'm all about women empowering each other and all of that. But I feel like, and again, this is going to be in the work context. We're excluding men who would benefit from all of us meeting together because I think if they can't understand or be aware of our challenges as women in the workforce, then nothing will change. And also, I think that you know men aren't allowed to embrace or explore or nurture their feminine side to their detriment and to the detriment of all of us. Mm-hmm. So... I see value in integrating these efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something, I'm not asking you to do anything different. I'm just saying, is that mm-hmm. something that you think about? Absolutely. And it is something that, that in both of these, uh, the, these, these organizations or these businesses, the, the mastermind and the retreats, we have had discussions about the integration of men and the value that it would provide for them. But Currently, there hasn't been enough male interest to pull together something that is specifically designed for them. But as soon as there are men that that come up to us and say, yes, we're ready, we want to do this, then we are 100% open to that. So women have have been the ones that are are more apt to engage Mm -hmm. in these type of activities. But maybe we're hoping as women do this and they find the positive results from it, that um, the men in their lives will be more interested in trying it out as well. And Mm -hmm. then hopefully though, you know, it'll continue from there. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, um, I look forward to, I I do think that there are more men, especially younger men who are interested in quality of life and being in a more egalitarian ish Mm -hmm. society. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the more they are public and open about that, it gives others courage or permission to do the same. Correct. And so I don't know, but um, it feels like that's happening a little bit more. I'm going to say among millennials, but to me, Mm -hmm. everyone younger than me is a millennial, so (laughs) I don't even know what the generations are. I'm a Gen Xer. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, anyway, I just, I want my own happiness, but I want, um, uh, I don't don't know why I'm feeling emotional right now. I feel the pain of the world. Mm -hmm. I'm very empathetic and... um, and again, I, I feel helpless, and I just wish that more people um, could be compassionate with themselves, for mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. but also with others, um, and try to be more understanding and, and nuanced in the way we think about each other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I hope that we're, we're, I feel like we're in a dark period. I know there have been others in the past, but I hope that we start to shift. I hope the pendulum starts to swing back to a, a more caring uh, place. I feel like we are in a dark period, but I, I, I feel like we have progressed enough to where we're in the dark before the dawn. Um, I do sense that um, we are on the leading edge a, a, a pivot mm-hmm. um, in in the world that there are, but you have to check the pulse of the undercurrent. On the surface, it looks like it's chaos and overwhelm. But if we really take a step back, step back and listen and observe, there is a growing um, number of individuals in the undercurrent who are more open to alternative ways of being in the world and more interested in leaving the older, more traditional ways of, of being that, mm-hmm. that are, are no longer serving humanity. So I, I do feel that we are headed in the right direction and that it's, it's the dark before the dawn. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think that too. And I, mm-hmm. I do say that. I, I think we're in the dark. It's darkest before the dawn. 
I will probably change my way of thinking if Trump gets reelected. I hate to put it all on politics, but that is such a huge impact and influence on our lives. So, uh, yes. Well, I really, really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I could just talk about this stuff all day long. Where is the retreat? The retreat, we call it the Homestead. It is by Two Rivers Park. It's mm. it's uh, Susie Jacoby built her home in a way that it's uh, friendly for retreats. And she has a yoga studio, and it's a really beautiful piece of property. So we keep it small, and um, we invite people out to her, her place by Two Rivers Park. I love um, it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's We bike, and um, I just... Oh, I love it. I nature is my religion. Uh, it's it's where I find my peace. And I've said this before to other someone else on this podcast, but I, it is like I am seeing it for the first time every time. You know, mm-hmm. there are just spots on our ride where I have to stop and take a photo, or I just have to stop and look because it's just, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. And Two Rivers is one of them. So I just love it out there. That's being mindful. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful practice because you're in the moment. Yeah. You're paying attention to what's going on around you. Nature is definitely very healing yeah. because it does encourage that type of presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and presence is where we find our power. Mm-hmm. I just love the way you frame that. I love it. Um, well, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, I think we've covered it all. I really yeah. appreciate the opportunity yeah. to come and do this podcast with you. So thank you yeah, for reaching thank, out. Thank you. I'm really glad that we got to meet.